you're listening to the Pomerado Christian Church Sermon Podcast. Thank you for spending time with us today. If you're a weekly listener, welcome back. If this is your first time, we're so glad you're here and hope you consider subscribing. If you're in your car, on a run, doing things around the house, or working out, and want to connect even further and take next steps with us, visit pomerado.info. Now, enjoy this week's message. All right, let's... So good to see all of you who are here with us in person. And again, want to take a moment to welcome those of you who are joining us online. And uh, we're just so grateful to be able to have this time together, be able to dive into God's word together, to be able to see what it is that he has for each and every one of us. And, and I acknowledge that as we enter into our sermon this morning, the series we're talking about is called Remarkable. And it's looking at some of the different miracles in the gospel of Mark. Um, And so it's just looking at different types of miracles. Philip did a fantastic job last week uh, unpacking the faith that we need in the storm and the fact that when we remember what God has done, that it will give us the confidence that he will continue to work and to help us through whatever storm we are facing. Now, as we enter into this morning's message, uh, we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 5. If you want to follow along in your Bibles, um, you brought your own Bibles, great. If you have the Bible app on the phone, great. If you didn't have either of those, we have Bibles available in the seats in front of you. And if you're joining us online, you could turn to the Bible tab. Now, this week is one that could be a little bit difficult for us because it's, it's the title is called Freed from Suffering. The concept behind it is what happens when we are suffering physically or emotionally and we seek out healing. And we know that sometimes God provides healing in miraculous, incredible ways. Sometimes God provides healing through the wisdom of doctors and being able to come alongside. And sometimes God provides no answer and no healing in what we could see. And so as we enter into this time, um, I suffer from migraines. Does anyone else here have migraines or really bad debilitating headaches? Okay, so this is one of those where I feel like if you have them, you get it. And if you don't have them, then you're sympathetic, but sometimes you're like, yeah, but your head hurts a little bit. Can't you just get over it? And this is one of those where I get migraines. Um, sometimes it's related to food of what I'm eating, not not all the time. It often happens when it comes to uh, like barometric pressure or um, if the weather, like if it's uh, overcast in the morning and then if it burns off later in the day, that's often when I'll get migraines. I could just feel it in the back of my head and then all of a sudden it's just completely debilitating. There's times when I've had to go uh, to the ER to get fluids. There's times where it's just been uh, nauseating and it's just uh, feel awful. It can be to the point where, you know, can't get my job done or can't get things ready. And there are times where I will jokingly, to be very clear, but I'll jokingly just ask my wife, Steph, I'm like, is it possible just to like cut off my head so it doesn't hurt anymore? Like, is that, and so I'm not going to self-decapitate, like, don't worry. But just acknowledging like the pain can be so overwhelming that It's just, you just feel like, I just want to be free of this. I remember times when I'm praying and I'm just like, God, can you just take away this headache? Lord, I know that you are big enough to be able to hold the entire universe in the palm of your hands. And yet you are close enough to know the cries of my heart. And yet why can't you in your vastness, in your goodness, in your power, just take away this migraine or take away this headache? Now, maybe for you, it's not migraines. 
Maybe for you, it's another debilitating problem, a a constant pain, uh, something that you kind of keep under the surface and you don't always share what's going on. But the truth of the matter is you are in pain and maybe it's physical. Maybe for you, it's emotional. Maybe it's relational. Maybe it's spiritual. Maybe we are walking around and we're bearing the burdens of these sufferings and we say, God, in your goodness and your faithfulness and your love and your power, why can't you just free me from whatever it is? And we live in this tension because, again, sometimes he does miraculously. Sometimes he does through medicine and through the wisdom that he has given doctors and therapists and people who could come alongside. And maybe sometimes he just doesn't seem to respond in the way we hoped. So what does it look like for us to continue to walk forward with God in the midst of suffering? And how is it that we turn and reach out to God in the midst of suffering? Will you join me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for who you are, and I thank you for each person who's part of our service today, whether they're live in person, live online, watching or listening later throughout the week. Lord, as we enter into this discussion about suffering, about pain, and and asking about healing, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you, God, you would meet us here. Lord, I pray that you would meet us in the midst of our times of pain, and we reach out, and we don't know why or how you're responding. And so, God, I pray that you would be the God of comfort to us this morning, that you would work in and through us this morning, that we would whether we get miraculous healing or whether we don't, may we continue to reach out for you and may we continue to see what you're doing. Lord, I pray that as we dive into your word that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we jump into chapter 5 of Mark, the first point that we see on the screen here is this idea that when we are experiencing physical suffering, we seek healing. That's physical as well. We say, okay, where do I go if I've got this certain pain or this certain difficulty? Which doctors do I go to? Again, we've talked about this before. Maybe you look up like WebMD and then you just have to be careful because everything is the worst on WebMD. And so, you know, you want to be able to feel like you can find out what's going on and then get to people who can help you, who can come alongside you in that. And so when we enter into the story, Jesus just came back. Now, we didn't study the passage last, or we didn't look at this previous 20 verses. But in Mark chapter 5, 1 through 20, is this beautiful, powerful story of when Jesus heals a demon-possessed man on the other side of the lake where the Gentiles were living. And it's one of those where he was someone that was sitting up on the mountain in the, in the tombs, and he would, like, rip off his chains, and, and there'd have to be people who would try to, like, hold him down, and he would fight off and hurt people. And he comes and the demons just talk about, they recognize the power of who Jesus is. And so then he casts the demons into a herd of pigs. The pigs go over the ledge of a cliff and the people who live there ask Jesus to leave. I mean, they see that the man who was healed is is completely rid of all the demons. He's rid of all those things. And if you're still struggling with with some of that demon, um, the the spiritual warfare aspect, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, but it's littered throughout the Gospels and especially the Gospel of Mark. And so we see that spiritual warfare is real and we see the ramifications of it upon people. And yet when the man is freed from that, the people tell Jesus to leave. 
partially maybe because out of fear of what just happened and the power that is evoked there. Part of it is also because they just lost 2,000 pigs. Their livestock and their livelihood was, went over the edge of a cliff. And yet, when he's getting in the boat, the man who was just set free from the suffering of demon possession comes and says, can I go with you? And this is one of the only times we see Jesus, when someone wants to follow him, he says, no, you don't come here with me. You're not going to come and be one of my disciples here. You know what you're going to do? He says, go and tell others how much I've done for you. You say, go and tell those in your home how much the Lord has done for you. And so he's like the first one sent out with the gospel message of freedom. And so he goes and he shares. And we'll see in a couple of weeks the impact of his sharing and his life changed when we return back to that Gentile side of the lake. But we are now just, that was the context to kind of give you an idea of what the, people, the disciples have seen. And now we are coming back. And when this says the other side of the lake, this is the Jewish side of the lake, Capernaum in that area over here. And so we'll start in Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 21. Or sorry, 24, excuse me. So Jesus went with him. Him is Jairus. We're going to learn about him next week. Uh, his daughter was really sick, and G they asked Jesus to come and to help heal her. But we're going to spend the majority of our time uh, looking at that next week. So all you need to know is that his daughter was sick. Jesus goes with him. And then continue on. A large crowd followed and pr pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. Some of us who have physical ailments and pains and, and diseases and issues, we can resonate with that. It's, it's we've tried going to find doctors who can help us out. And some of you may have gone to different specialists and different people to say, what is going on with me? I recently watched a movie lent to me by one of our um, church members called Miracles from Heaven. And, and it's the story of Anna Beam, who is a young girl who has a, a stomach issue and, and her intestines don't work properly. But the story starts off with the mom, Christy, and, and the husband. And they're going to doctor after doctor and they're saying, what is wrong with our girl? And one doctor was like, well, I think she might be lactose intolerant. Or another doctor says, well, we're, we're not sure. We think maybe it's just uh, acid reflux. And the the woman is like, I, I can't, I'm not leaving here until you tell me what's wrong with my girl. And we can resonate with that. We can resonate with this, say, okay, we know something's not right, but no one is telling us what's wrong. But yet we're in this moment, we're struggling, we're in pain. And, and this woman, after 12 years of having this, this, uh, this order, disorder with blood is just, she's at the end of her rope. You got to remember that in the Old Testament and in this time frame, according to the, the, the Torah, the law, that if a woman was in that time of the month, she had to remove herself from people. And so this woman would not have been able to interact with people for 12 years because they would have seen her ceremonially unclean. And so not only was this a physical ailment, this was a relational and a societal ailment for her because she was cast aside and she could not be amongst people. And yet we see that she gets to this point where she sees that she hears about Jesus. And we're going to find out because when we are suffering, we reach out to God. We reach out to him. 
Whether it's a prayer in the middle of a migraine saying, God, can you please just take this away? Whether it's because you've seen your child or a loved one suffering, you say, God, would you please, I know something's not right. Would you give the wisdom to the doctors to say what's wrong? Or to say, God, you can miraculously heal. Would you do that, please? And so we reach out to him in the midst of that pain, in the midst of that suffering, in the midst of the heartache, in the midst of being the end of our rope. We say, God, would you help us? Let's pick up the story as we continue on, starting again back up in verse 27. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. The title of our sermon this morning, Freed from Suffering. Now, we have a couple of questions here. We remember that, again, it was in that culture, they, she should have stayed away from everybody, that she was supposed to be separate and, and segregated and isolated. And yet she comes up behind him, and yet she goes and she risks being ridiculed and torn apart viciously from people um, verbally because she's saying, I just need to get to Jesus. I'm going to go into a crowd. Remember, the crowd is pressing in on him, and she's Weaving in through the crowd, knowing that if anyone found out about her disorder, if anyone recognized her, if anyone saw her, she would be even more castigated and set aside. And so she goes and she reaches out to Jesus. Now, there's a couple of things here that we highlight. This idea of she touched his cloak and she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. And when we hear that, we might wonder, like, what, what's, that, what's that about? Like, why is that something? Is it just because she thinks, okay, Jesus, he's a healer, and so if I just get near him, the, the healing will take place. Well, yes, it's a faith thing that she steps out in, but there's more context for it. And the question we ask is, why did she reach out for Jesus' clothes? Why didn't she do something else? Well, why didn't she just not talk, talk to a disciple and say, I really need to talk to him? Why is it that she went and she reached out to grab his cloak, to grab his clothes. And why is it that when she did that, she was immediately healed? So let's jump over here because one of the things that's going to help us with this context is uh, this is a, a Jewish prayer shawl, also known as a talit. Can you say talit? Talit. Excellent. You guys speak Hebrew. Well done. And so um, this is um, what would a traditional prayer shawl be. Um, and this would be something that uh, you would learn about. You've seen people that, um, who are Jewish people who follow uh, what the Torah says. You'd see them wearing this. And you'll recognize that when you, you see this and you have them holding here, and you might see some people like praying like this. And so this was what a traditional Jewish person, a God-fearing man, would be able to wear. Here's why. As we look at Numbers, let's look over here, Numbers 15. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, through, through the generations to come, you are to make tassels on the corners of your garments with a blue cord on each tassel. You will have these tassels to look at, and so you will remember all the commands of the Lord that you may obey him and not, go ahead and go to the next slide, please. Prostitute yourselves by chasing after the lust of your own hearts and eyes. Then you will remember to obey all my commands and will be consecrated to your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. And so when he's reaching out for the clothes, there's very specific verbiage that we see here that 
there, Jesus will be wearing something like this. And if you see here, we've got the tassels. And these tassels uh, come here. You'll notice that there are five knots. One, two, three, four, five represents the five books of the Torah. You'll also recognize that there's blue. There's four sections here. And this is for each letter of God's name that was revealed to Moses in, um, in Exodus chapter 3. And so the Yahweh. And so they would wear this. And we still see people who might be wearing this today. So here's why she reaches out to Jesus and tries to touch his clothes, his cloak. So the tassels right here, again, this is the seat seat. Can you say seat seat? seat. Very good. Wonderful. And so this acts as a reminder. What did it say in Numbers? It acts as a reminder to obey God and to obey his commands. That they would remember that these represent the words in the Torah, in the law, that they would remember that this would remind them of who God is and that they would have this with them wherever they would go. And as they did that, it would remind them to follow what God's word said. It would be to remind them to obey his commands. It would set them apart wherever they went in order to reveal, oh, that is someone who follows God. That is someone who takes God's word seriously. And so the tassels, which are these parts right here, are the tzitzit. The next part are the corners. She talks about the, the corners here. The corners are kanaf. Can you say kanaf? Excellent. Kanaf. And so the kanaf would be these corners, the actual corner here in which the tassels are tied. And so the kanaf can also be translated in the Hebrew scriptures as skirt, as edge, as fringe, or as wing. And so the idea is, is that when he talks about this idea of um, reaching out for, her, for the edge of his robe, it's saying that she's reaching out for the kanaf, reaching out for this corner and trying to grab the tzitzit. So Matthew 9's version of this story gives a little bit more context specifically in what she was trying to do. It wasn't a general reaching out to just any part of his clothes. It says this. Let's go to the next slide. It says, Just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. So this would be, if this was written in Hebrew, this was written in Greek, but it would be the kanaf. She reaches out for the edge of his cloak. And she said to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. This Matthew 9 version gives us the more specific idea that she's reaching out. And as he's walking and he's going like this, there's going to be one of these edges that's along the back as he's walking. And she's going to be pressing through, trying to get through the crowd, acknowledging that in their mindset, every person she's touching would become ceremonially unclean if they understood who she was and what she was experiencing. And yet she comes up behind him and she reaches out for the kanaf. She reaches out for the edge of his clothes. Why is that a step of faith? Why is that important? And what does it have to do with her reaching out to God? Yes, literally, but what else does it tell us? The last point that we see on reaching out for Jesus' clothes is this, that there was a tradition that had developed that when the Messiah came, there would be healing under his wings, under his kanaf. Now, you might wonder, why is this something, why would this verbiage be verbiage that might point to this idea of wings? But if you held it out like this when they were praying, could you see how this would represent or could point to the idea of wings? That when we talk about how we find healing in God's wings, that Jesus wants to take his people under, their, under his wing like a hen does to her chicks. That we recognize that this is something that we see throughout the Psalms, that we would find shelter in the shadow of God's wings, that we would be embraced and we would be that close to him. We would be underneath the kanaf, that we would be within that dynamic. And so... 
Malachi 4.2 is where we see this passage. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. She wasn't just randomly saying, I just need to lay my arm on, on, I just need to touch his elbow, or I just need to be somewhere within his presence. What she's saying is this, that she's acknowledging, okay, if, if he really is the Messiah, if he's the one, that this is a messianic passage, the son of righteousness, if he is the one who has come to be able to bring the Messiah, to be the chosen one, then when he does that, there will be healing in his kanaf. And so if I could just reach his kanaf, if I could just reach the corner of his prayer garment, of his talit, then I'll be able to be healed. And it's a step of faith that she navigated and risked all the social ridicule to get close enough to Jesus in order to grab his kanaf. And in fact, it's right here that on this version of the kanaf that I have as well, in the prayer shawl, it has Malachi 4.2 quoted right here. Time this idea, but to you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings. So this is all the context that she's coming into. And so let's continue on with the verse. So this is what we saw earlier, that just then the woman who'd been subject to bleeding touched the edge of his cloak, the kanaf of his talit. And she said to herself, if I only touch his cloak... I will be healed. And then she says, Jesus responds and turns and sees her. Take heart, daughter. He said, your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. See, as this was something that was traditional, that you, we, we hear in Matthew chapter 6 when Jesus talks about you know, going into your prayer closet. And we've seen uh, in movies like War Room, like there's an actual physical closet within someone's house that they're praying. And that's great to be able to have that specific place. And maybe for you, it's not a closet, but maybe it's a chair that you sit in. Maybe it's a specific place where you go to the Lord and you pray and you seek him out. But when it comes to what that meant at that original time, the prayer closet was this idea that when you would want to pray, even if you were public, you would cover yourself like this and you would pray to eliminate distractions and in order to show people that you are in the midst of praying to God. And so people like, oh, that person there, he's in his prayer closet. And so all this context helps us to recognize what it is that this woman is doing. When Jesus says your faith has healed you, it's not just the faith that you'd be healed. It's the faith that she recognized by reaching out to God that he is the Messiah. He's fulfilling the prophecies that came forth in Malachi 4.2. He is the one that is going to set things right, the anointed one. And so she'd reached out to various doctors and she felt worse rather than feeling better. She'd spent all she had. So with the last amount of dignity that she could muster, knowing that as she walks through again, that she would be cast aside if people found out that she was still bleeding. She reaches out and immediately she gets healed. Isn't it amazing how we try or we, we want to make sure that we are washing our hands and and that we do whatever we can to stay healthy because we recognize that sickness is spread through touch and through um, just germs and all those things and isn't it interesting that whereas in our world sickness is spread through touch when it comes to Jesus healing and health is spread through touching him and encounter with him he brings health and healing and hope to whomever he interacts with. This woman, she was healed. So we recognize that when we are experiencing physical suffering, we, we seek physical healing. We'll go to doctors. There's nothing wrong with that. 
When we are in the midst of suffering, we will reach out to God, of course. That's not, it's not just there's nothing wrong with that. There's everything right about that. So sometimes we get this miraculous healing. Sometimes we get things that work out the way we want. But whether that happens or not, sometimes God uses our experience of physical suffering to provide spiritual healing. To provide a type of wholeness and healing that is far greater than a migraine going away or a limp being taken away or a pain to be removed from us. It's this kind of healing that allows us to truly see who God is. To allow us to truly see how much we need him. And allows us to truly see that when we reach out to him, we may not get the things that we want when we want it how we want it but we will get a relationship with who we need. We may not get what we want, but we will get a relationship with who we need. We continue on, and we're going to jump back into the Mark 5 version of the story. So they'll be a little repetitive from what we read from Matthew 9, but that was beneficial for us to get the fuller context here. So let's jump back in to Mark chapter 5. Because in verse 29, it talks about how she's freed from her physical suffering. But that verbiage will show itself back up at the end of our verses in a moment. Verse 30. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask who touched me? So they're, they're not fully understanding, right? That they're thinking, well, Jesus, everyone is trying to touch you because you are walking in a crowd and they're pressing up against us. But verse 32, but Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened, her knowing the miraculous healing she experienced in that instance, came and fell to his feet and trembling with fear told him the whole truth. The fear of acknowledging that she did what she shouldn't have done. She came in while being ceremonially unclean and went through the crowd and she was trying to hide and say, oh, I want to get the healing, but I don't always know how to handle the relationship. She wanted to experience Jesus, but she was afraid of what the people around her would say when it came to her following Jesus and trusting in him and being socially outcast for her faith. Verse 34, he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace, and then we have this verbiage again, and be freed from your suffering. See, it reiterates that the faith of reaching out to him is what healed her. That does not mean, let me be clear, if you are experiencing pain, physical, emotional, if you're experiencing those things, you reach out to God, and he doesn't heal you immediately. That does not mean you don't have faith. It doesn't mean that, oh, you need to try harder. You need to do more things. It's, it's like when it comes to our kids. Like there are times when they ask us for things and we say no. And there's times when they ask us for the exact same thing and we say yes. So if they ask for a dessert in the middle of the morning and it's not called donuts at church, then we say no. <laughs> but if they ask us for dessert in the evening after they've had their good meal, then we say yes as long as you share. No, I'm just kidding. But recognizing that there are different times. And so it's not, God is not 
someone that is a formula. If I just do this one thing, then God owes me to do the thing that I want, and then therefore I am happy. So when we think that God is a formula, and the way he answers prayers is formulaic, then we start to use God to get what we want. We don't come to God because we don't think he's who we truly need. So who is the, what is the God in our lives? If we think, God, I love you so much. Can you give me what I really want? Are we honoring him as our God? Or are we saying, can you be the means through which I get what matters, truly matters most to me? God is not a formula that we just say, if I pray this specific word, then he will heal me a specific way. Therefore, I will get what I want. And that would train us and teach us that all I have to do is keep saying and praying a specific word, and then he'll give me what I want, and then I'll keep the process going. Instead, he says, this is a relationship. There are times he will say yes, and we praise him for that. There are times he will say no, and we question him because of it. We wonder why. We think, God, out of your goodness and out of your power, you could change so much. Why can't you just get rid of my migraine or my everlasting pain or my fill-in-the-blank? But it's this idea, he says, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. And peace isn't just the absence of conflict. The idea of peace is so much richer in this context. Let's, let's look at one of the... Um, Biblical commentaries from Life Application said, she came for healing and received it, but she also received a relationship and peace with God himself because of her faith. We see the contrast of this in Luke chapter 17. We're not going to turn there, but there's a story of 10 lepers who cry out to Jesus and are cleansed of their disease. And it's very specific in the verbiage because 10 of them were cleansed and only one of them came back with a loud voice praising God because of what Jesus had done. And Jesus says, where were the other nine? Weren't 10 of you healed and yet are cleansed, but only one of you was made well. That there could be a physical cleansing of a disease. But what we all really need is not to have fewer migraines. What we all really need is a relationship with Jesus. Is for us to recognize that he is not a formula to get what we really want, that he ought to be what we really want. And a relationship filled with peace ought to be what we really want. We continue on, and we said here the last part, yes, go in peace and be freed from your suffering. This word freed from your suffering, Archibald Thomas Robertson says, you can, another translation would say, to be whole of thy plague to be made whole again, to be set free, to be made brand new. And so earlier in the passage, she's freed from her physical suffering. The bleeding stopped and she knew it. By verse 34, something greater happens. Let's see, Cornelius, uh, what's his last name? Plantinga, when he talks about peace, says, we call it peace, but it means far more than mere peace of mind or a ceasefire between enemies. In the Bible, with the, with the Old Testament context, it's the word shalom, when you see peace in the Old Testament. Shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. When we look and we see injustice, we see that's not right. There's something wrong inherently morally about that. 
We say it's because there's, there's, there's no wholeness. Everything is not the way things ought to be. And ever since sin in the beginning has come through in our world, things have not been the way they were originally meant to be. There's shalom, a wholeness and a peace that has been missing between us and God and between one another. And so he's saying, be, go in peace. And then he says, be made whole of thy plague. Warren Wearsby continues on. He says, by the time Jesus finished speaking to her, she experienced something more than physical healing. He called her daughter and sent her on her way with a benediction of peace. Let's go to the next one. To be made whole meant much more than receiving mere physical healing. Jesus had given her spiritual healing as well. He had shown great value to this woman that because of the ceremonial laws had been cast aside for 12 years, years. He says, he doesn't chastise her for getting everybody else unclean on the way to see him. He doesn't give her a dismissive tone. He says, daughter. He brings her in and reminds her of her role in the family of faith. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Be made whole. Be set freed from your suffering and be whole of thy plague. May all things be made right with you because of the faith that you revealed by reaching out and trying to grab the kanaf, to grab the tzitzit, to reach out and say, I know that Jesus says, or that the word says, if he is, if Jesus is the Messiah, there will be healing in his wings. And she takes hold of the kanaf and leaves and goes back home to so much more. She's able to go back to her home and not have to live separately. She's able to worship again in a community. She's able to be around other people for the first time in 12 years. And when she does, they don't look at her as the one who broke ceremonial laws in order to get up front to Jesus. They see her as a daughter of the Most High God, just like they would be sons and daughters of the Most High God. I want to share a closing story that, um, that uh, I just I recently have reconnected with my cousin Cody, uh, a dear brother in Christ, uh, someone I respect, look up to, and, and have enjoyed doing life together over the past several months. Um, in fact, here's a picture of him and this family when they were really young. And so this is Cody. Um, this is my Uncle Vic. This is Brandy, my cousin, and Shannon, my cousin. And... I recently saw this picture in uh, an album that I had at our house, and I sent it to Cody. And then I saw on Facebook a couple days later, it was his birthday, that my cousin Brandy posted it and said that this is the only picture that they have of the four of them with my Uncle Vic smiling. And it's not that he was bad, it's just that he wouldn't always smile for photos, they weren't always all together for photos. So sending them this photo, uh, I was just like, hey, I got this photo, I thought you'd like it. Um, and so he, she shared and she posted about how you know, that's the only one they have. But here's why that's the only one they have. I'm going to read the story here that he texted to me a couple months ago. And he's talking about how my Uncle Vic, his dad, was really sick. Cody says this. He says, I had begun to study the scriptures for about a year before my dad got sick. Then the doctor suggested a do not resuscitate order. 
And I ran outside and was spinning out of control, out of grief and confusion, feeling that my dad's life was in my own hands. I'll pause there for a second because out of the three of them, the two, like they, they wanted to sign it because they acknowledged that this would be best, but his older siblings just, they didn't want to put that pressure on him, but they knew they would want to sign it. Just again, to, to kind of navigate that end of life season. And so Cody felt that the decision to sign this DNR was all placed on his shoulders. That he's like me, there's a, there's a pretty substantial age gap um, with my older brother, he's 12 years older, there's an age gap, um, as you can see in this photo, but he felt like it was all on him. So that's what he's saying. He's spinning out of control, out of grief, feeling like his dad's life was in his own hands. He, sa- he continues on. I remember clearly bracing myself against the trash can in Hillcrest outside the hospital when a sudden overwhelming warmth and the tangible voice came of God the Father when he said to me, trust in me, I've got this. And I felt an instant peace enough to march back upstairs and tell my siblings that I wanted to sign the DNR. Instant relief fell on their faces and it was unanimous and they signed it. He continues on. He says, my dad began to recover instantly, and despite being in a deep coma and crashing, he was sitting up and fully recovering within 24 hours, which began his own process, hear this, friends, of spiritual healing and reconciliation with people in his life before the Lord called him home two weeks later. And he said this, oh, I forgot to mention that all the doctors that were, that were um, with my Uncle Vic All the doctors used the exact word miracle. He says, one even went out of her way to say she doesn't believe in stuff like that, but his sudden and complete reversal was mystifying. See, you could look at that story and you could stop and say, well, you know, I mean, in the end, my Uncle Vic, he still passed away. But this wasn't about just a physical immediate healing. What happened was that the miracle that took place was that my Uncle Vic recovered and that he had a couple of weeks for what? To have spiritual healing and reconciliation with those in his life. So that he would come to be able to know that at the end of his life, all things had been made well. There was shalom between my Uncle Vic and God and between my Uncle Vic and those around him. And so this word miracle, you could say, well, it it only gave him a few more weeks. But within those few weeks, God worked many more miracles. That if we only go to God and we say, "I I just want physical healing from this. He may give that, he may not. But if we reach out to God and say, God, I want to have a renewed spiritual healing, a relationship with you, then he will always say yes. Tish Tish Harrison Warren says it this way. She says, but through his work, his miraculous work, Jesus showed us what the kingdom of God looks like. In the kingdom, people are healed, forgiven, restored, and made whole. That there's physical healing, emotional healing, relational healing, and people will be made whole. They'd be made whole of their plague. They'd be freed from their suffering. We don't always get it how we want when we want. And so if you're in that place, 
God, please just take away these migraines. Take away this constant pain. Heal my daughter or heal my son or my spouse or my whoever it is. Can you do a work? Never stop reaching out to God. Because he may give and he may respond with a physical healing exactly the way that we hoped. But even if he does not, we will always have a strengthened relationship with him when we turn to him, when we reach out to him, and we cling to him, even if we don't always get what we want or know why something is happening. We recognize that he is the God of comfort that comforts us in the midst of pain. We recognize that we can have faith in the middle of these storms because of what he's done in the past gives us confidence that he's still with us in our storm right now. And we can remember that, yes, God is all-powerful and he is all-loving. And I do not pretend to know why he answers some prayers certain ways and others a different. But while the answers may not be the same, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He loves you far more than you can understand or fathom. And his desire is for all of us to reach out to him and cling to him in the midst of these times where either we are suffering physically so that we can be freed from our suffering spiritually. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for each person who's part of our service today, whether they're live in person, live online, watching or listening later. Lord, I thank you for the fact that you are with us always. And Lord, I I acknowledge that there are people in this room who are suffering. Lord, I pray that you would heal miraculously. I pray that you would work in such a way that, like with my Uncle Vic, that the doctors would say, I don't even believe in that stuff, but it's a miracle because what you have done is so mystifying to, to people. Lord, I pray that you would get glory for how you are working in our lives. God, I pray that you would heal people in a way that they would be able to go and just tell the world how much you have done for them. And in so doing, they would spread your message and share your love, just like the man earlier in Mark 5. Lord, we thank you for who you are. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We want to be a church where people are changed by God to change the world. If you want to partner with us in this way, you can start by doing these two things. The first, if you haven't subscribed to this podcast, you can do that by hitting the subscribe button wherever you're listening so you can stay connected with us and we can broaden our reach. And the second, and this might be the most important thing you do, share this message with someone you know. And as always, remember you are prayed for, cared for, and loved. See you next time.